that was one of our core aims as a studio and it always has been that we really need to start paving the way not just in our region but in the industry in general for other girls so it really is something that we do try and focus on and I think it will change slowly but we do have to put a lot of effort into what we're doing now and and the kind of people that we're putting on a pedestal and these role models to make sure that other girls are seeing that the games industry does have a lot of potential and there are so many careers for them in it. This is Inside Indie Games. Join us behind the scenes to see what it takes to create a great indie company and to craft the games that people long to play. Helen Andrioska is one of the three founders of Ocean Spark Studios. They're a video game development company formed in late 2016 and based in Huddersfield, Yorkshire. Helen came from an art background, going on to study video game development at the University of Huddersfield, and that's where she met her two now business partners, Zach and Ellie. As we've heard so far in this series, there are some folks who like to really niche down and specialise in one particular area of making games, whilst others prefer to take a more all-rounder approach. So did Helen herself decide to stick purely to the artistic side of things? Well, the university course that I went on, um, I was really lucky, actually. It kind of is the main reason for me starting the business and starting the studio. So I was on a sandwich course, which essentially gives you a year between your second year and your final year to either go out and get a job in industry, a placement job, or they offered something called enterprise placement year, which essentially allows you... uh, to set up your own business with support and guidance and mentors. And I was really lucky that um, my two business partners now, Ellie and Zach, were on my course and were, were all kind of like-minded and, and had the intention of wanting to set up a business rather than going out and getting a placement job in industry. So that kind of changed my path entirely because not only was I trying to learn how to be a games artist, I also then had a newfound love and passion for business. Um, I started learning all these business skills in this year out, um, you know, from setting up as a limited company to doing my books, accounting, applying for grants and funding. So it was because of this course that really that I am part of this business now. I'm not just a 3D artist. I've also got um, all these other things going on that I learned in, uh, in my placement year. Another recurring theme in this season of the podcast seems to be the idea that making games and actually creating and running a business can require very different sets of skills. I was curious to find out what support was available to Helen and her company on that front in those early days. We got a ton of help on that side. So there's a a brilliant um, team working at Huddersfield University, um, the Enterprise Placement Team, who basically are there um, from nine to five it's a drop-in kind of hot desk center where you go and you can ask them all sorts of advice they'll schedule meetings with you to make sure that you're on track and you can ask them stuff that they'd probably be able to do in a minute it might take you an hour or two to do even something as simple as registering on company's house you know it can be really daunting to do but there's a ton, there was a ton of support available for us. So if we ever got stuck or if we ever felt that we were doing something wrong or needed some advice, there was always someone there to try and guide us down the right path. Yeah. Because yeah. um, it can be very daunting setting a business up. 
Ocean Spark's very first project was a game called Tetra, and it's one that remains core to their business to this very day. Naturally, the game's evolved a fair bit during the past few years. The team have relied heavily on player feedback to constantly tweak and improve the user experience, and Helen feels that this encourages player testers to really buy into the product. She says it's given them a lot of traction because people want to keep up with how it's developing. They're now at the stage where they feel they've got a great demo, which they're still working on with the help of the UK Games Fund. Now, this seems like a process that must have had a really steep learning curve. So I wanted to ask Helen, knowing what she does now, what advice she'd have for herself three years ago when she was right back at the beginning? I think if I could go back in time and, and speak to all three of us three years ago, I'd love to... I'd love to tell us that it will happen and, you know, the hard times are really hard, but if you persevere, you will actually get somewhere. So we went through some real lows as a company. Um, I can remember at one point when we had just four pounds in the bank, Mm -hmm. genuinely only four pounds in the bank and all of us needed, you know, to live and we needed to also think about, um, our overheads and our costings and you know if I could go back to that point in time and say it will get better just just keep doing what you're doing you're on the right track yeah. obviously now I can see that but at that at that point in time we were all really panicking we were wondering what we were going to do we were yeah. thinking is it worth it is it all going to pay off in the end so thankfully it did yes but <laughs> Coming out the other side of it now, um, I wish I could have told myself back then not to worry. It'll be fine. Yeah. What What made the difference there? What took you from four pounds in the bank to being fine or at least more confident? Honestly, um, I'd say we've been quite lucky. Um, not that we haven't deserved it, yeah, but yeah. we got quite lucky in that we surrounded ourselves by other developers mm. um, and got to know them pretty quickly. So Yorkshire's got a great development um kind of hub there's a lot of game makers or freelancers in this area and by doing that um we kind of put ourselves on the map Mm -hmm. so people knew what we were doing they knew us as people as well as a studio and we got quite lucky in the sense that people would ask us um if we were available for work um mainly because they knew us so at that time when we had that four pounds in the bank something came our way and it was almost like a bit of saving grace. Yeah, um, yeah. It couldn't have happened at a better time. But the only reason that came our way is because it came from somebody that we knew and yeah. someone that we'd invested time in. Yeah. So we got quite lucky in that respect. Yeah. So was most of your early income during those first couple of years, was that mostly work for hire? Our income in the first couple of years was um, a, a few bits and bobs, really. Mm. So our first lot of what you could class as income or funding was actually creative england funding so that was grant funding that we'd applied for and that's what really got us off the mark as a studio and kind of allowed us to be more established and from receiving that funding we could then you know spend and focus our time on other things so growing our skills as a work for hire studio or you know branching off into education and learning how to teach and deliver workshops. So a lot of our funding since then and a lot of our income has come from work for hire, Mm -hmm. but it's also come from um, the educational sector. So we get paid to go and deliver really great workshops um, to schools, really hands-on development Mm -hmm. workshops uh, in local libraries. So 
that's also been a, a great source of income for us. So yeah. we've really tried to open the door to everything. Um, mm. There's not much we'd say no to, <laughs> being honest. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll try everything if if we think it's something that we can deliver. Now, delivering workshops to schools was definitely something I wanted to ask Helen about. But first, let's find out a bit more about that funding. So Creative England is something, I'm sure it's available um around the UK in general. Um, But at that time, we were introduced to a guy who worked for Creative England, actually at EGX. Mm -hmm. Um, And we got talking to him at kind of, it was sort of an investment summit where you'd go and speak to people about investment. And he was there and he told us about Creative England and said that essentially what Creative England is, is a pot of funding available to not just games, but film, TV, anything essentially that you can think of that's creative and mm-hmm. entertainment kind of, that kind of thing that's in the UK. Yeah, yeah. He said that there's pots of funding available for <clears throat> startups or companies that are already, you know, making money and sustainable that you can apply for. And what they want to see from that money is that you are a sustainable company so that you're bringing kind of um, jobs to the to the UK or that you're bringing income to the UK in some way and essentially we applied for that um, actually we didn't think we were going to get it because the application was quite long you had to submit a video with it to show of any projects you're working on and we were quite early on so this was only two or three months after we'd set up the business um, and essentially you can say what you need the money for, what you think you'll use it on, so project funding, and you have to submit um, a budget so to show how you'd spend the money should it be allocated to you. But that was really, it went really, really well, so we ended up uh, getting the money that we'd applied for, uh, completely grant funding, so we didn't have to give any of it back, but essentially, we just had to work with Creative England to show them how we were developing and the products that we were making and yeah, how we were spending yeah. the money that we'd been given. Sure. It, it's brilliant, Creative England. It's They're still open now, so they have different funding rounds. It's quite similar to UK Games Fund in the sense that you have to apply when the funding rounds open. Sometimes they'll have a theme to that funding round. So, for example, they've run uh, funding rounds in the past where the theme might be narrative driven games or exploration in games so sometimes that's limited to who can apply because you would have to be working on a project that might fit that theme yeah but it's worth keeping an eye on because they do run a lot of um, different things that that you can apply for great and with the uk games fund as well at what stage did you apply for them so we went for the uk games fund pitch development program which was for companies that may have already been established or that maybe weren't just graduates um, because I know they run the Transfuser program for graduates as well. Yeah, sure. And we got onto the pitch development program, which saw us get a small amount of grant funding to try and help progress a certain project, which for us was Tetra. So we were really lucky to get onto that program because as well as the funding, we also got to take the game to EGX and we had a spot there, which meant that for us it was perfect because it meant we could take the demo that we'd been working on and manage to improve with the funding, but also get some great user feedback. So going back to the subject of delivering workshops and actually teaching the making of games then, 
To me, this definitely seems like one of the more unique income streams I've come across so far. I was really curious to find out how this venture initially came about. Yeah, so it's a bit of a weird one. It sort of happened by mistake, although not really mistake, more um, someone approached us as opposed to us actually thinking, you know, to approach other people for education. But um, with myself and Ellie being quite strong um, female role models in this area, you know, we tried to speak to a lot of the girls wanting to learn games or... um, other teachers in schools who might be wanting to teach games. We actually got approached by quite a few schools who asked us if we'd go and deliver workshops to them. Um, so it was actually within our first year in business that we were finding during um, the summer holidays or coming up to the summer holidays, schools were wanting to kind of deliver different content to their okay. students who yeah. might at that point have been thinking about what to pick for their GCSEs. Yeah, yeah. So we went into these schools and delivered some really nice hands-on workshops which taught them a little bit about game development, um, you know, some of the software that we use. Um, we allowed them to kind of test out some VR products or scripting in the Unreal Engine. And it was off the back of that, actually, that we realised kids really do want to learn about this stuff, but they want to learn it from people who are relevant and who are actually in the industry so it kind of happened naturally Um, and from teaching all those kids in schools we realized that actually we probably had a better setup in the studio um, to be able to teach them in-house so what we did was speak to a couple of different sponsors who maybe could offer some kit that would allow us to deliver free to attend workshops um, or things like that and that's it just happened really naturally and then we started to pick up a bit of traction people started to hear about what we were doing and wanted their kids to get involved and it, it almost just happened like that they started booking in with us and we set up a really good uh, course structure to make sure that they're learning every time they come in and they make their own little projects they work with other kids that they might never have met before to form teams yeah, it's almost yeah. like they're almost like mini game jam sessions it'll see them making a product at the end of it but that's how we got into it, actually. It was schools approaching us and asking yeah, if we yeah. could go in and deliver content. Do you think it's something that other companies could be more proactive about? Do you think if a games company was looking for some early income, they could approach schools or local organisations to do that? I do, actually, um, especially if it's a young company. Um, so I think that's one of our selling points is that kids generally want to learn from, from people they can relate to. Um, and generally, they they will respond much better to someone who's maybe they look up to or see as a bit of a role model. And with games being such a massive thing at the minute, you know, there's a lot of kids who may be addicted to games. You, you hear stories of kids that can't come off Fortnite for hours and hours. Um, it's a great thing for parents, to be honest, to be able to spin the table on it a little bit and and send their kids to actually learn how to make games. But I would definitely encourage other studios to look into it because if games is something that they love doing anyway, then teaching others how to make games is just as fun. Yeah, yeah. I was curious about really how that figures into the income of the company. Is that a big part of your revenue? It's not a huge part of revenue. It's what I'd call quite consistent yeah. So our booking system generally, 
works in the sense that we'll look at all the local schools in the area. Um, so generally we we work around Yorkshire, so Leeds, Huddersfield, Barnsley, places like that. We'll look at the um, timetable for the schools and on our calendar um, booking system, we'll essentially open up workshops during the holidays. So whether that's yeah, Easter yeah. half terms or summer holidays and the booking system is really easy for people to use, but it also shows us uh, kind of the income that we're going to get yeah, before yeah. we even deliver those workshops. Yeah. So it's not a huge amount of income, but it's almost a bit of a safety net for us. Yeah, um, yeah. It's something that's quite consistent. So we'll get regular kids that will come back um, every time we'll put a workshop on, they'll book in. Um, but it also allows us sometimes just a little bit of breathing room to think it's okay if we haven't got any contract work to be working on or any grant funding at this point in time, because we know that we will likely earn some income from what we're doing yeah. with the academy. So yeah. it's not massive and we never intended for it to be our main moneymaker as such, but it's been really great for us because it's allowed us just to relax a little bit. How do you, so are you only doing that through the holidays or do you do any during term time, like evenings or weekends at all? So we do weekend stuff. So we'll do weekend workshops on a Saturday. We also run a gaming club on a Sunday, which is more just about coming in and playing games and experiencing okay, yeah. being around other people. Yeah. But we also do term time stuff. Term time stuff is mainly in schools, though. So schools will book us for that and we'll go into the school to deliver the content. Yeah, yeah. Um, generally, we don't do anything in the evenings um, because of our target audience and that primarily being children. Um, we find that normally in the, even in the evenings after school or whatever, they just don't have the same focus or they'll be tired after a full day at school. So... We try and make it enjoyable. We don't ever want it to feel like they're coming to learn as yeah, such. We yeah. want it to feel like they're coming to have fun <laughs> whilst learning. So we find the school holidays works really well because yeah. they can come with their friends and their parents can drop them off and whatever. So, yeah, that's worked well for us so far. Great stuff. Do you think that will be part of your plans long term? You'll keep that up? Absolutely. Uh, we'll definitely keep it up. Um, and the main reason for that is we love it. It's it's something really different. It's a really nice change of pace and having kids actually come into the studio really brightens it up. So some some days and some weeks, you know, time can pass by so quickly when you're developing a game. Yeah. And before you know it, you're three, four, five weeks into a sprint or a cycle of making something and then it's really nice because you can look at the calendar and you think well next week you know we've got eight kids coming in for a week and <laughs> you can kind of forget about the development for that week yeah. and just focus on interacting with kids and they come up with some of the most brilliant ideas <laughs> and they're so creative and fun and engaging that it's just really nice yeah. it's really nice just to have a change of pace so yeah. it's something we'll definitely carry on um, and hopefully who knows if we expand we'll be able to get a bigger studio and do yeah. different things and invite more people in. So yeah. fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you talk about uh, interacting with your audience, getting feedback and stuff. And even if you're not directly getting feedback on your own games from that group, that must, yeah, that must spark so many ideas, so much creativity. Yes, they love games. The kids that come <laughs> to us already have an interest in games, whether it's been something they've played or it might be a streamer that they love they all have a massive interest in games already. So when they come to the studio, they're already super excited to play or test whatever we're making. And we always let them do that because, as you say, it's first-hand feedback. 
And the great thing about kids is they will tell you if something's rubbish. They don't care. <laughs> they kind of, they don't hold back, Brutal you know, <laughs> a kid's opinion is a true opinion. So it's great to hear. Sometimes you need to hear that feedback and yeah. they'll sit down and play your game and they'll say, yeah, you need to change this. It's not good. So <laughs> Yeah, we love having we love having them here. <laughs> yeah, that's excellent. I, I suppose that that transitions quite nicely into the other uh, main thing I wanted to ask you about, which was the whole topic of you mentioned already the the idea of being female role models in in the tech industry and gaming, and um, and you're obviously doing that for those children that are coming into your workshops and stuff. I mean, ha, ha, did you intend to? do some work in that area to try and help in that area or was that just something that came to you again like the education yeah it's that's always been something that's really close to my heart so when I went through college and university in fact in my second year in university that's when I was introduced to um a lady called Fee Fee mm-hmm. Laming um she's she's uh, in the industry in Yorkshire um she runs a lot of events in Yorkshire like Gamio whatever but she was actually one of the first females that I'd met that was working in the industry and it wasn't until then that it dawned on me that she was one of the first females that I'd met I was yeah, like oh yeah. my god I've gone through four or five years and not actually realized that there are basically no women working in games and that was one of our core aims as a studio and it always has been that we really need to start paving the way and not just in our region, but in the industry in general for other girls. Um, So it really is something that we do try and focus on. And I think it will change slowly, but we do have to put a lot of effort into what we're doing now and, and the kind of people that we're putting on a pedestal and these role models to make sure that other girls are seeing that, the games industry does have a lot of potential and there are so many careers for them in it. Yeah. Um, but it's brilliant because myself and Ellie, who deliver the workshops alongside Zach, we deliver workshops to, you know, both girls and boys. And yeah. it's also really important that boys see that girls work in games because, you know, I don't want it to just be focused on girls. Boys yeah. should also see that there are really strong female role models who do really cool stuff with games because then they'll go home and they might have a sister or they'll say to their mom, you know, I got taught by a girl today. Um, so it's just about changing people's views and showing that there are girls in the industry and hopefully that's going to start changing and, you know, young girls who, who are at school now will start seeing that there are females working in games and it might encourage them to you know look towards the games industry for a career is there quite a good mix then in those early age groups that you're teaching just now yeah so what we find is um girls generally um succumb to a lot of peer pressure so for example depending on what age they are in school if their friends don't want to come to the workshop then even though they might want to they'll probably say no so what we find the type of mix that we'll get is um, girls who have maybe come on their own and not brought their friends. And then you'll find, on the other hand, that boys will come and they'll bring a ton of their friends. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The ratio isn't great. It is changing. So a lot of our workshops, um, a lot of the attendees are boys, even when we go into schools and we deliver career talks or, you know, workshops. Yeah. Again, a lot of the attendees will be boys, but 
we are gradually starting to see a change in that. So more girls are interested or they'll reach out to us and ask us what it is that we do. So we ran a series of workshops in the summer holidays in Huddersfield that were primarily aimed at girls. So we really marketed it at girls. We did all the branding and marketing to try and attract girls. And that was a brilliant turnout. We had about 16, 17 girls from the local area turn up. And hopefully that will start to change. But but at the minute, it is primarily boys. Um, but even if we just have an impact on one girl who's in the room at that time, then that's fabulous for yeah. us because it means that, you know, we've made a difference to maybe her thoughts and what she might pick or, or choose to do as a career. Yeah. Have you seen anything, what have you seen work in terms of attracting more diversity to the games industry? I've seen um, I've seen other studios try to appeal to you know, a diverse workforce or try and get people in that are girls or from a minority background. Um, But to be honest, I just think it's something that needs a lot of work, um, the industry as a whole. So as I mentioned before, you know, a lot of the role models that you look up to now or a lot of people that are behind the games now um, they're not diverse. You're not. You don't see a lot of women behind there. You, if you Google games or if you Google the games industry in the UK, you know, not a ton of women come up. Um, so I think it's something that we need to work on. You know, making marketing it towards maybe the minority groups or the girls to show them, you know, that as an industry as a whole, we are really welcoming and all this stuff is here. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I also think bigger studios could definitely make more of an effort. So from what I've seen, it's it's always the smaller studios that have more time to spare to put towards these things, okay. which just seems bizarre to me because, you know, it's the smaller studios generally who are working to a tighter budget or, you know, are the smaller teams. Yeah, and yeah. there's a lot of big studios, not really, you know, I'm not really going to name names because I, I generally, I do think a lot of them could try you know, to show diversity more or to go out to schools and give these career talks because they've probably got a lot more to say um, and, you know, the type of games that they're creating appeal to kids, you know, games like FIFA or Fortnite or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if if those studios put a lot of effort in to showing, um, you know, how diverse the industry is and how welcoming it would be, that would probably make a massive difference. Okay. Do you know what the stats are these days? Like, are more girls playing games? Actually, more more girls play games than boys. Really? Um, okay. I'm not sure of the, the figure exactly, but yeah. I do know that um, it's at least 50-50, if not more girls playing games. Uh-huh. Um, but in the industry in a whole, the, the, the amount of females working in the industry in the UK yeah. is less than 20%. Really? So there's um, some kind of mismatch between people, between girls in particular, playing it, enjoying games and and thinking about using this as a, as a career path. Yeah, that's it. But, you know, as I said in the beginning, I was guilty of that myself when yeah. I was younger. I used to play the games and have no idea where they came from. <laughs> and I do think it is an awareness thing. So yeah. had somebody at 14 or 15 years old come in and, and said to me when I was at school, this career exists. My, I might have picked very different things or, you know, yeah. gone to university earlier or picked certain courses. So I really do think that it is just making girls or other people aware that these careers exist. Um, 
because like you say, they are playing the game, so they obviously enjoy something about them, but maybe they're not just maybe they're not sure of how to get into making games. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's just one thing, being able to show them um everything that we do might yeah. open up or spark something within them. Sure. What would you say uh, could or what would you say to companies to convince them that it's worthwhile putting the effort in? What are the advantages of having a more diverse team? Well, diversity is just brilliant in general, I think. You know, you get a lot of different people together, minds work differently, and and boys and girls, men and women work so well together. <laughs> you know, everyone brings brings things to the table that others can't. So, you know, we're a really diverse studio, and I know Zach thinks of things that I just wouldn't think of, and vice versa, and we're really lucky that we've got that kind of team dynamic But I just think if they put the time and the effort in, you know, they're not only opening it up to men and women, but just different brains in general, you know, different people will bring different things. And if you can increase the talent pool or the the people that you're looking at to hire, then surely that's beneficial in some way because, you know, you can pick from a larger pond essentially. Yes. Um, So it's so worth putting the time in. It really is. A big part of this show is the brilliant advice we're able to get from these creators based on their own experiences, successes, and even failures. We've already heard a bit about what Helen wished she'd known before she started out, but what about any guidance or encouragement that she herself received along the way? I was interested to find out if there was any one particular piece of advice that had stuck with her throughout her journey. I have one piece of advice that always sticks with me. Um... And actually, it wasn't great advice, but I suppose it had an effect on us as a business. Um, I remember one of our very, very, I think it was our first or second months in business, very early on, we got a bit of advice from someone who was quite well known um, in the industry, who was not mentoring us in any way, but kind of offering advice to startups or indie developers in games. And he said to us, essentially, you guys are never going to make it. You should just chuck the towel in and save yourself some time and go out and get a job in industry. (laughs) And we kind of looked at each other after that piece of advice was given to us. And we were like, well, no, we're not going to do that. Tell you what we're going to do with that advice. We're going to use it to prove you wrong. (laughs) And that always sticks with me because it makes me... It just makes me think, what if we'd have taken that advice? You yeah, know, what would yeah. we be doing now? But instead, we we kind of used it to fuel the fire that we had yeah. and push forward. Um, so in a sense, it, it did turn out to be good advice, um, <laughs> if you look at it in that way, Wrong because it really did help us. You know, I, I feel like we needed that. We needed to be able to prove someone wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, I do think of that a lot. and. You know, when I get advice nowadays, it makes me analyse that advice more because it makes me think, is this good advice? Is this advice I should follow? Or yeah. is this just something that someone's saying? So that's actually yeah. yeah. That's actually a really valuable lesson in the early days, isn't it? Around <laughs> yes. realising that people that are ten years ahead of you in industry, it's worth listening to them, but it's not always worth Uh, taking that advice it might not suit you or it might be plain wrong but it's worth analyzing it and making sure it suits your context eh? 
Absolutely, because everyone's had different different experiences as well. So someone who's 10 years ahead of you might have had a, a very bad experience or a very good experience. And they're kind of giving you advice based on the journey that they've had. So it, it's not always suitable for you. But I mean, listen to it, of course, and take it on board, but don't always act on it. And I'm really glad that we didn't act on that piece of advice. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that was well-intentioned as in he genuinely thought that he was saving you from making a mistake or was it kind of cynical or do you know where that came from (laughs) I think it was well-intentioned when I look back on it I think he um saw a lot of potential in us as individuals so as game artists um and thought that we did have a good career ahead of us in games whether that be working for someone else Um, I think he probably just thought that maybe we were a bit young and naive to actually be setting up a business. Um, So it probably was well-intentioned. But, yeah, it's something that um, made me think a lot, made me think a lot, especially now. So I'm very cautious now when I give advice to others. Um, I, I choose my words really carefully and I make sure that I'm not, you know, giving any biased advice or anything that, I'm saying because it's happened to me. So if people yeah. ever ask me advice, um, I'm really careful now not to say anything that might impact them too greatly. Yeah. yeah. What do you, what do you tell new companies most often? Where, where do you think they go wrong or or could go more right? So what I see generally from new companies, especially indie developers, is they focus really really heavily on their product. So generally, teams form because they've got a great idea for a game. Um, which is all good and well. Um, you know, making games is great. And if you can make a killer game that will make you a ton of money, that's brilliant. But quite often, the game might not make it. And generally, what I find is these companies have all their eggs in one basket. Um, so if they don't manage to obtain funding for that game, or if they bring that game to market and it doesn't sell so well, they have no fallback plan. There is no kind of business plan for what if this game doesn't make it. Um, So it's quite sad to see because then, you know, they'll kind of end up with nothing. You say that companies can go wrong by concentrating on one thing and and all their eggs are in one basket. What's your advice to avoid that then? What do you recommend they do otherwise? Yeah, so my advice would be have some way of sustaining in business. Um, See this as a business rather than just a you know a game have a fallback plan whether that be outsourcing or work for hire or freelancing on the side to make a bit of income or keeping a part-time job you know whether you work on a in a coffee shop or a shoe shop on a weekend just to keep that bit of consistent income coming in if you can should things not go so well with the game. And also it's it's so important to network and talk to people because often in your time of need, you might have someone that you can reach out to that might be able to offer you that little piece of work to save you or offer you some help and advice to try and help you should things go wrong. So I'd say just don't shut yourself off and focus on the one product. Try and, you know, open your doors to a lot of things if you can um and you know stay in touch with people let people know what you're doing and try and include as many people as you can in your journey so that you've got yourself surrounded by people um in a time of need i suppose perfect sounds good what about your future then just to finish up what 
does your next few months look like? Oh, wow. Busy. <laughs> I could show you the calendar, Colin. Oh my gosh. Um, so uh, on the UK Games Fund um, side of things, we're now two months away, give or take, from um, fully spending the grant funding that we were given as part of the pitch development programme. And that will see us taking our game to EGX in April. Um, so that's on on the Tetra front, the gaming front. Sure. Um, as well as that, we've also got a couple of contracts, work for hire contracts that we are kind of bang in the middle of at the minute and a lot of workshops set up for the holidays. Um, but long-term plans, um, we're really wanting to expand and grow. So our core aim for 2019 is to take on at least one time, one full-time member of staff. Sure. Yeah. Um, so they're here with us. They're a core part of the team. And we're also hoping to do work experiences and placements as well. So oh, get um, college students in for a week or two weeks over the summer holidays so they can experience what it's like to be part of a studio. Um, but I think we're just going to grow at a slow rate. Um, that seems to be what works for us as a studio, a really manageable kind of slow incline um, seems to work for us. So hopefully over the next year, um, yeah, things will go really well. We'll carry on doing what we're doing. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we might get some investment for the game that we're working on. Thanks for listening to the first season of Inside Indie Games. And I've got just one ask for you just now. Find us on Twitter at UK Games Fund and tell us who you want to hear on a future episode. We'll do our best to track them down and bring them on. And if you want to find out more about us too, hop over to ukgamesfund.com. See you on the next episode.